Uh, hi everyone, um, I'm Dr Emily Henderson, I'm in the Centre for Education Studies at the University of Warwick. Uh, thank you very much to Carol for um, organising this day and for inviting me to speak. Uh, I have to give um, a slight background to me speaking because this is part of the intersectionality approach and that um, when Carol first mentioned this event to me, um, I sent her quite a um, substantial list um, of different potential uh, speakers to take the role of introducing this theory. Um, and uh, that included a number of uh, scholars of colour. Uh, and none of them were able to actually uh, make it to this particular event. Um, so um, I offered to, to take uh, that, that place. But I think it is really important within this approach of what I'm going to say to acknowledge that um, I am introducing intersectionality theory um, as a white scholar, um, but that there has been um, what we might call backstage uh, work to make this event more, more inclusive. And I think that's something that we need to discuss uh, later during the discussion as well of uh, how um, these events and discussions of intersectionality get shaped by the people who are in the room, the people who are available, etc., etc. So that's just a kind of footnote uh, before I start this presentation. Um, I've taught on intersectionality and I've also, um, I, my doctoral research was on conceptual knowledge production of gender and around that um, it, uh, discussions of intersectionality are really um, clearly relevant uh, and I was discussing knowledge production in the Indian context, uh, the US context and the, and the UK context at women's studies conferences. So uh, I've researched intersectionality in quite a kind of um, cross uh, country way and that, that's kind of my approach I think will come through in the way that I'm introducing it. It's quite a difficult thing to introduce, um, particularly because I have no idea, um, I know already that someone teaches a module on intersectionality here, so I know that for some of you I think it might be quite new and for others um, I think it might be already something you're very familiar with. So I'm going to start assuming that you don't really know much about it at all um, and I hope that's um, I hope that's true of, of some of you, and I hope that if you, if you do, it'll be nonetheless a kind of useful, maybe rehearsal, and perhaps a slightly different perspective. Um, so for those of you who are sort of higher education researchers who have come here today um, thinking they might want to use intersectionality in their work, um, but aren't yet sure necessarily how or why, um, there are some kind of questions that intersectionality is really relevant to. So just thinking if, if you may be asking in your work, why do some students not make it into higher education and others do? Uh, why is attainment different across different students? Uh, why do some students seem to belong in higher education more than others? Why do some students withdraw from their courses? Intersectionality is really relevant to all of these questions and, and many more. But why? So intersectionality um, challenges uh, what is actually quite a dominant type of research in higher education, uh, which is um, to take a sort of single issue focus. So that an example of that is to say, um, you know, why are the women choosing particular disciplines? Uh, why are all the professors men? Um, that would be just to take a single issue gender analysis. On the other hand, uh, other research is saying what's happening with BME students but not necessarily looking at gender. Uh, so intersectionality actually pulls us away from those studies that um, almost simplify identity down to one category and tries to open it up to multiple and complex understandings of, uh, of people. Um, so in this presentation, 
Uh, I'm going to talk a bit more about the background and origins of intersectionality. Um, and then I'll touch on, do we think of intersectionality as a theory or a practice? Um, and some key questions going forward for thinking about how intersectionality might come into our research. Um, and I should also just, just mention that partway through the presentation, um, I will be briefly uh, touching on the issue of, of rape. So I wanted to just let you know of that in case it's a sensitive issue for any of you. If any of you want to leave during that moment, please feel free. Um, so this, uh, albeit introductory presentation, comes from um, the perspective that uh, intersectionality is known to be oversimplified. Uh, and in this quotation, Levine Rasky is referring to undergraduate classrooms where intersectionality is taught, but I think it's also potentially true of an introductory presentation like mine, that the temptation in introducing intersectionality theory would be to kind of close it down or simplify it in some way. And I'm trying to give a background and an introduction without at the same time uh, oversimplifying. Okay, so um, uh, I wanted to sort of start my background piece with this quotation from Surma Bilge, that intersectionality falls prey to widespread misrepresentation, tokenization, displacement and disarticulation. Now this is a really important place to start from because it shows us already that intersectionality is a really contested term. As you saw from the title of my presentation, in some ways, it's impossible to introduce intersectionality because you always risk closing it down in some way. Um, but I also want to sort of show up a second layer of analysis of this, this quotation, where um, what the quotation suggests is that there is a correct uh, form of intersectionality, that rather than misrepresentation, uh, it can be represented. Rather than displacement, it can be placed. Rather than disarticulation, disartic it can be articulated. And um, there's a bit of a challenge in there about what is the true form of intersectionality. And I, I want to contest the idea that there is a true form of in intersectionality, whilst at the same time recognising that intersectionality has been uh, co-opted into some kind of tokenising purposes, which I'll touch on a bit later. So um, my first point of con kind of contestation is the origin story of intersectionality. Um, and to acknowledge how the origins of intersectionality are contested. So um, in most kind of accounts of intersectionality theory, Kimberly Crenshaw, the US-based legal scholar, is sort of um, cited as the coiner or the founder of intersectionality theory, uh, even using this sort of um, gendered um, metaphor of giving birth to intersectionality or being the mother of intersectionality. And, um, and while it's true that um, her publication, which I'm going to talk a bit more about in a minute, was, is sort of the coining and the founding of that intersectionality theory, uh, we have to, at the same time, um, acknowledge that there have been intersectional analyses without that name for a long time in a lot of different places. Um, so... Um, some people have sort of contested the idea of the origins of intersectionality as being with Kimberly Crenshaw by going back to 1970s black feminism in the US and saying that actually that was um, the beginnings of intersectionality. Um, others have gone further back to the 19th century civil rights struggles in the US. But the problem we also have with these US-centric 
accounts of intersectionality uh, is that um, because of the US uh, domination of um, the global knowledge production, this sort of um, suggests that intersectionality only happens in the US uh, or is its origins are firmly situated in the US when actually if we think about the context of South Africa, um, the, particularly the intersection of, um, of gender and race, if we think about India, um, Anjali's going to talk more about this later on caste, class and um, gender, particularly caste and gender, actually intersectional conversations have been happening for centuries. Um, so when we're actually thinking about mobilising this concept of intersectionality, where do we point to as the origin is actually a political issue and it's a real um, conundrum because uh, the, the origins in, t in the Kimberly Crenshaw origin story come from um, you know, disadvantage in the US. Uh, so we can't dismiss the fact that uh, black feminism in the US came out with this uh, fantastic concept. But at the same time, we risk um, dismissing other uh, potentially global South contexts by always saying that the origins are in the US. So we have a, co uh, a contest uh, within ourselves there of actually um, any time we introduce intersectionality theory, where do we point to and who do we point to? And do we really need an origin story? So... Um, a second introductory point is around what we might call the kind of common features of intersectional approaches. And um, the, the common feature really, and this is sort of at the very introductory point, is that intersectionality is where different what we might call identity characteristics um, intersect with each other. So where race, class and gender and other intersections, and I'll talk about that list in a bit, um, meet uh, to form people's social experiences and for higher education researchers how understanding those different intersections as crossing and affecting people's experiences also affect their experiences of higher education and their chances of belonging and success um, but if we are if we sort of move from that introductory point to um, perhaps like a meta common feature or of intersectionality uh, we need to think about the concept of representation and that's representation in both forms of the concept so both as a representation in the form of like an elected representative um, and representation in the form of depicting or portraying something so um, when we're thinking about intersectionality and in the first form of representation so that idea of who speaks for whom uh, we need to be very uh, careful about who is actually describing society? Who is the voice that is identifying particular intersecting characteristics as relevant uh, to that person, to that person's life? So as a higher education researcher, who am I to walk into a research study and say, I, actually, everyone, I think that the most salient features here are gender and race? And um, who, who am I to make that, that claim? Um, on the other hand, uh, if I try and start from the participant point of view, which participants might I go to to ask what uh, intersections affect your lives and what is necessary to potentially empower participants to tell us what are the most salient features of their lives that we should be researching. So as higher education researchers, we have a real problem there around how we identify intersectionality within our participants. Um, 
And that also feeds into the other form of representation, as in portraying or depicting something. As researchers, how are we speaking about our, our participants from an intersectional perspective? So are we putting the potential for representation in the hands of our participants to analyse what is going on in their lives? Or are we asking them questions, for example, about their attainment or their feeling of belonging? And are then we then taking their words and saying, oh, yes, I can see gender. Gender is affecting them there. Or are we asking our participants, how does gender affect you? Or how does sexuality affect you? Is that relevant? Or are we saying that appears to be relevant? So how we represent people is a core part of intersectionality as well, at that sort of meta level. This is about thinking about the power relations of knowledge production. Um, and this is all within this other common feature of intersectional approaches, where basically the overarching point is that oversimplifying people's lives and social issues is damaging to people's rights and to their lives. So the extent to which we try and explain people's lives in an oversimplified way, like, oh, that's just gender, uh, actually affects what policy does, what institutional practices happen, how teachers understand their students, etc., etc. So if we're saying, oh, that's just a gender problem, what are we actually doing? What are we, do what are we not focusing on? Um, and that is a core kind of political uh, element of intersectionality theory. Okay. Oh, and this, um, this book, um, in this recent 2016 book, uh, Intersectionality by Patricia Hill Collins and Surma Bilge, um, is a really good account of intersectionality if you're interested. So um, I think it is important to um, touch on the origin story um, of intersectionality, the Kimberly Crenshaw origin story. And that's not because I want to reproduce uh, the Kimberly Crenshaw um, origin story, but it's because it's the most... Um, well known. So if we are going to contest that origin story by saying, you know, these conversations have been happening in India for centuries, uh, we probably need to know what Kimberly Crenshaw was saying um, in order to decide for ourselves that, that kind of argument. So um, in uh, this is her sort of key uh, presentation, in, which is sort of the go-to point for the start of intersectionality theory. Um, and uh, there are some really important points to make. If you decide to go and read this paper, which I would really recommend, because people cite it all the time, but have they read it? I'm not always sure. Um, there are some kind of key points about the way that this paper has then been taken up within social sciences. And that is partly because Kimberly Crenshaw was working in legal studies. And that is quite different from uh, many of the social sciences that have since taken up um, intersectionality concept. And the point is that um, in legal studies, you know, what she was actually talking about is in court kind of situations, in situations where law is being enacted, uh, for um, black women, um, what was happening was the um, lawyers, etc., in court, the judges were, were refusing to accept that something can be because of gender and race. So there was when crimes were committed against, particularly against black women, and rape was one of the key um, crimes uh, that was focused on in this, uh, in this publication, um, trying to decide whether it was perpetrated out of racial hatred or out of um, sexist and patriarchal hatred of, of women uh, was almost impossible because <laughs> in the US context, um, at that 
point, and probably still arguably, uh, those, those crimes against women were actually out of racist sexism. And you couldn't decide which was which, but in the legal terms, there was a need to, in order to carry out justice, to prove that it was either a sexist crime or a racist crime. And that is where intersectionality comes from. This idea that actually you can't, in a situation like that, separate whether this is a sexist crime or uh, a racist crime. And um, many of the accusations to Kimberly Crenshaw have been that she oversimplified things. Why did it have to be one or the other? And the point is that in legal studies, at that time, in that situation, she had to show this in quite simple terms, quite categorical terms. But in social sciences research since, you know, it's not as necessary to do that. So when we're taking up this publication from its origins, we have to think a bit about what its purpose was. Um, and yeah, this was the thing. You couldn't talk about it's single issue politics. You cannot just blame a crime of this kind on one issue, gender or race. Class comes into it as well because of the issues of marginalized uh, black women who then um, you know, were kind of deprived of a voice um, in those legal situations that people wouldn't kind of uh, listen to their account of the story and believe their analysis of experience. Um, so intersectionality is really, a, in that publication, that origin was to refuse to treat race and gender as separate, that everyone experiences their race in a gendered way and everyone experiences their gender in a racialized way. Uh, so this is where the kind of multi-dimensional approach of intersectionality comes from. And this is just to kind of illustrate a little bit, this is what a, a single issue scenario would look like. This crossroads and intersectionality comes from the fact that the US um, term for a crossroads or a junction is an intersection. Uh, this would be a kind of, this car here, uh, say this person walks out in front of it and gets knocked over. We understand very clearly that that car has knocked that person over. So that would be almost a gender analysis. The car is gender knocking someone flat. However, if we have a car going really fast from here that suddenly comes in on the scene, crashes with this car and the person at the same time, we don't actually know who to blame. So if we could call that car race. So this is sort of where the intersection comes from, that um, if someone gets knocked over by two cars at once, then uh, how do you explain um, what it is that has caused that accident? Okay, so um, I have five minutes left, so I'm going to uh, fairly quickly... Um, go through this uh, last section. So theory or practice. So is this a theory that we um, perhaps uh, use to inspire us or is this something that we put into practice? Um, and there are lots of questions around about, do we need to be talking about what intersectionality is or what we can use it to actually do? And Crenshaw is very clear that um, it is an analytical tool, but it is also a template for intervention. So when we're thinking about intersectionality theory, we're also thinking about how does it show us the processes of marginalization and potentially what we might need to do to reduce that um, inequality. And then we sort of touch on actually the question of intersectionality as method. So um, when people apply intersectionality theory, is it something that structures their literature review? Is it something that they bring in so just at the analytical phase? Well, ideally, it's something that inspires actually methodology uh, because we should be thinking about this at the moment in which we design our studies and thinking about how we open up the possibilities for participants' lives to be complex instead of 
closing them down. So there is this, this, uh, this concomitant risk with intersectionality, however, that we might end up um, losing the complexity that we have in single-issue politics. So a, a clear example of this is that if we're looking at an, an analysis of uh, gender and race, if we're just looking at gender on its own, we might have all kinds of possibilities for, for queer and trans identities to be part of gender. But what often happens in an intersectional analysis of gender and race is that it becomes about men and women and black and white and it becomes categorical all over again. So how can we do, how can we keep each of the categories that we're looking at open and fluid and affecting each other without, um, without also making our social science impractical? It's really a difficult question. And, um, and this is sort of this question um, that I've just raised is known as the kind of additive and autonomous approach versus the interactive and mutually constitutive. So are we talking about um, each thing is just a solidified category? We've got men and women, and then we've got black and white, and then we've got straight and gay, and these are our categories, and that's all we're looking at, which is the additive and autonomous approach. Um, in the mutually constitutive um, approach, we're looking at okay, my gender is also um, mediated through my race, through my sexuality, through my, my faith, through my ethnicity and everything else. That means that for me to be a woman is very different from someone else to be a woman who's of a different set of intersectional characteristics than me. Um, so this is, a, and I have to say, higher education research has tended to go with this one. And the challenge is for us to keep those categories open. And we have a, a kind of final question around the theory versus practice thing here, that um, is it that our theory needs to change with context, or is it our practice? So is it that we can just take US-based intersectionality theory and import it to, for example, Global South context, or do we actually need to move the, the theory? That is a question for all of us kind of going forward. So um, have I got like a couple of minutes left? Just yeah, to, no, please. Yeah. Okay, um, so my final um, slide then is to try and put some questions out there, um, <laughs> which I think are the key questions that we're kind of asking ourselves in intersectionality studies, um, but also questions that I hope will inform some of the um, later presentations and the discussions. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of conversation around what is the true version of intersectionality. Has it, is there a true version? Has it been corrupted, co-opted, etc.? And my personal view is that there is no true version of intersectionality, but that we have to recognise that intersectionality theory came from a particular political point, and we cannot throw away its origins in that sense. So in my first sort of layer of, of questions, um, I start with, um, does intersectionality always have to involve black womanhood? Uh, is that the centre of it, and are we corrupting it if we try and use it to look at, for example, white working class men? Um, added to that, um, you know, I, what I was talking about in relation to Kimberly Crenshaw's seminal publication is intersectionality basically about where race, class, and gender meet. Or are we actually asking ourselves? where do we start with intersectionality? So we're looking out across a higher education institution and thinking, uh, what are the fundamental intersections that we can see here? And here we come into issues of contextual 
issues, contextual differences, how our theory needs to move with the context that we're moving into. So is there an argument for moving it away from black womanhood, for example, in a context where, um, for example, um, in, I don't know, in an Indian context where you're not talking about race, potentially you're talking about caste. Um, so um, how, how can we potentially shift those origins without corrupting the, the theory? There's also a question of where to stop. I don't know if some of you are familiar with this uh, kind of etc. Uh, list. Race, class, gender, sexuality, faith, disability, etc. And who gets shoved into the, into the etc. And who gets included in the list and when and what we decide. And there are some um, quite vicious arguments around about things like luxury uh, intersections. So sexuality often gets... Uh, put as an, a luxury intersection that is less damaging to people's lives, for example, than race, class, and gender. But others argue that actually, in a kind of terror, in a homophobic context, that sexuality becomes as important as race, class, and gender. So there are like real arguments around about what is a almost uh, what do you keep in the list and what do you put out and how many things can you keep in your head in one go. So uh, in terms of what you include in intersectionality, that's the first level of questions. The second level of questions um, are a bit uh, more abstract still. There's a really salient political question of if intersectionality can be used to look at privilege as well as marginalisation. Now some scholars have argued that it's really important to use intersectionality to look at privilege, because until we understand the processes of privilege and domination, how can we understand also the processes of marginalisation? Um, others have argued that the problem is that then, when privileged uh, researchers get their hands on this, it becomes another excuse to not look at the most difficult issues. So whiteness studies is a clear example of that, where whiteness studies has been kind of used to call itself racial studies, uh, but at the same time has been enacted by often white privileged researchers at the loss of funding and attention to um, studies of racial marginalization. So, and that leads clearly into, does intersectionality deflect from discussions of race? And that point is around, um, are we saying in a way that we're doing intersectionality in a way that means that we don't have to concentrate on race? That it almost becomes a very safe way of talking about acting like we're talking about marginalised subjects but without actually focusing on the most difficult and controversial discussions or the, the conversations that, um, that researchers find uncomfortable. So we have to ask ourselves, are we co-opting intersectionality to make politically correct banal statements or are we actually using it to ask the questions that, that matter in the conditions that we are researching? And my final question there is, who determines which are the most important intersections? And this comes back to my point near the beginning of who gets to speak about intersectionality, who has the responsibility of doing so, who gets burdened with the responsibility of doing so, and who actually asks what matters to our research participants. And that uh, we have to remember that sometimes our research participants are uh, themselves prejudiced. Uh, so we might ask our research participants, and that goes for even I research academics, for researching academics, you know, what are the most important intersections here? Oh, well, race doesn't matter here because everyone's white. Well, I mean, that's a classic. Of course, that means it sh we should be talking about it. But um, so you, if you open up your agenda to a participatory, you know, the participants can determine our research questions, you also run the risk of actually reproducing um, power and domination there as well. 
So um, I'm sorry if I've gone on, Robert. No, I lost track of time. <laughs> but um, those are kind of, uh, I think, the, the questions that we need to be, need to be asking. Um, and um, I hope that they, they will make our discussions um, and also hopefully your higher education research uh, more uh, inclusive uh, rather than more categorically fixed in place. Um, so th these will be circulated afterwards. Hopefully they'll give a good um, set of references for those of you who don't know them yet. Um, and if you um, are on Twitter, um, this is my uh, Twitter feed, and feel free to uh, tweet about any of this. Um, so thank you very much for listening. I hope it was useful. Thank you. Thank you.